0: You have "Don't be evil" in the cash app. <laughs> no, no, product. no. Maybe no, we should no. maybe we should take it. It's no. open. It's no, free now.
1: When a, one of our one of our like <laughs> equivalent operating <laughs> principles within cash and square is like under like how do we understand someone's struggle? Like how do we understand like how do we have the empathy for like what they're struggling with? And like when it comes to finance, they're struggling with a lot. Yeah, typically they're struggling with a ton.
0: What was the the thought process with, I mean, one of the things that's kind of cool about the Cash App is that you can buy and sell Bitcoin with it. Yeah. Um, are you go, are You guys going to consider other forms of cryptocurrency
1: as well? Not right now. I So back to the internet, I believe the internet will have a native currency. Really? It'll have a native currency. And I don't know if it's Bitcoin. I think it will because just given all the tests it's been through and the principles behind it, how it was created and... Um, you know, it was, it was something that was born on the internet, that was developed on the internet, that it was tested on the internet. It, it, it is of the internet. And mm. the reason we, um, you know, we enabled uh, the purchasing of Bitcoin within within the cash app is, one, we want to learn about the technology and we want to put ourselves out there and take some risk. We're the first publicly traded company to actually offer it as a service. We're the first publicly a company to talk to the sec about bitcoin and what that what that means and it it made us uncomfortable we had to we had to you know like really understand what was going on and and that was critical and important and then the second thing is that we you know we would we would love to see something become a global currency it it, it enables more access it, it allows us to serve more people it allows us to move much faster around the world and um we uh, we we thought we were going to start with how you can use it transactionally, but we noticed that people were treating it more like an asset, like a like a virtual gold, and we wanted to um, we wanted just to make that easy, like um, just the simplest way uh, to buy and sell Bitcoin. But we also knew that it had to come with a lot of education. It had to come with constraint because, you know. Two years ago, people did some really unhealthy things about you know purchasing Bitcoin. They maxed out their credit cards and um, put all their life savings into into Bitcoin. So we we developed some very simple uh, restrictions and constraints. Like you can you can't buy Bitcoin on the cash app with a credit card. You have to it has to be the money you actually have in it. And we look for day trading, which we uh, we discourage and shut down. Like that that's not what we were trying to build. That's not what we were trying to optimize for. We made a a children's book explaining what Bitcoin is and where it came from and how people use it and where it might be going so we we really tried to take on the role of education and 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 to have some like very simple healthy constraints that allowed to be allowed people to consider what their actions are in in the space
0: now when you have something like the cash app which is a it's very much a disruptive technology in terms of like decentralization of of, of banks and, and 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 currency and mm-hmm. you know to have it where everything is going right at, you're direct depositing a paycheck right in the app if you so choose and then you could also buy Bitcoin which is another disruptive technology I mean that this is a, another step towards this sort of new way of doing things yeah. And
1: is there pushback
0: from from any companies or is there?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you, you just look at, like, some of the major banks and their consideration around Bitcoin. They all love blockchain uh, because of the efficiencies it can create for their business and potentially new business lines, but... um you know, I think there is a explain
0: blockchain to people who don't know what we're talking Black, about.
1: Blockchain is a distributed ledger and it what that means is that um, it, it's basically a distributed database where you know the, the source of truth can be verified at any point around the network. And you can see, you know, um, this this annotation around how content or how r- around money like traveled. Um,
0: so you don't have to go to an institution to so get the, the records. You're yeah, there's no centralized
1: you, check. There's right. no centralized control over it. Um, and I think that is uh, threatening. It's 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 certainly threatening um, to certain services behind banks and financial institutions. It's threatening to some governments as well. Um, so. I I just look at this and like, how do we embrace this technology? Not react to it in a, in, you know, more from a threat standpoint, but like, what does it enable us to do and where does our value shift? And that's what we should be talking about right now is like how our value shifts. And there's always really strong answers to that question. But if you're not willing to ask the question in the first place, you will become irrelevant because technology will just continue to march on and make you irrelevant. Mm. And it's the people that like are, are, you know, growing up with this technology or born with the technology, only knowing that technology or are asking the tough questions of themselves that are going to be super disruptive to their business and they're they're thinking about it right now and they're and they're taking actions and you know we're doing we're doing that at Square and we're doing that at Twitter and like that to me represents longevity that represents uh, our ability to, to thrive and we we gotta push ourselves we gotta make ourselves uncomfortable and we gotta disrupt what we held sacred and, and what you know we think is success today because otherwise it's not gonna be bigger than what we have today we built this city. We
2: built
3: Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is Pierre Chard. I'm here with my co-host Michael Goldstein, aka Bitstein. What's going on, Michael? Howdy, howdy. Uh, today we have like someone who has been mistaken as like my body double or my uh, stuntman, uh, Francis Puglio. Francis, how are you?
4: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. And I think it's not only the French name and the maximalism, but it's also because I think we tend to have a a self-content uh, smirk on our profile pictures uh, across social media. So maybe that's why people confuse us. Yeah, smirking is smirk almost acting. illegal. Yeah, <laughs>
5: uh, you got to be careful with the face crime, guys.
3: Yes, absolutely noted. Noted. <laughs> uh, um, so Francis, uh, I'm sure that most of our audience is already uh, familiar with your background, and but just for those who are not, like, do you want to? I mean, you're like a big Bitcoin OG, so you got a lot of history to uh, describe, and you're you're a UASF veteran and No2X veteran, so you've just got a lot uh, a a lot of uh, history in Bitcoin, and uh, we want to get into that.
4: Yeah, so I'll try to do it as short as possible. Um, my background is actually as a, an economist and public policy analyst before I got into tech, and I was into um, libertarianism circles, and uh, the kind of policy analysis that I was doing was for the benefit of private free market research think tanks. So I got into Austrian economics very early, and also a very particular school of thought in academic uh, uh, policy analysis called public choice theory. And those who know Austrian economics and public choice will see that that's kind of like the fundamental, um, I guess, uh, conceptual components you need to to, to have to get Bitcoin. So public choice theory is kind of like game theory applied to politics and governance and all that kind of stuff. So in 2013, I I was hanging out with Austrian economic radicals, like my friends, essentially. And they gradually started to pitch me Bitcoin over time as we were having beers, um, clearly attempting to convert me. And they did. So eventually I started to pay attention to Bitcoin. I bought Bitcoin. And in 2013, um, I produced two research papers for my uh, think tank on Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, during the the writing of those uh, those uh, research papers, um, these guys had, in the meanwhile, launched the Bitcoin Embassy, which was the first physical Bitcoin hub in the world. And by physical Bitcoin hub, I mean like a co space, a store, an event space, and like a private office space, a non-profit organization with kind of an advocacy arm. And they just hired me to become a public affairs guy um, and an in-house internal researcher. So you can think of it as it's kind of like a mix between Coin Center and like an Apple store, because we would do research and advocacy, but also have like a physical Bitcoin store where we like install treasures and stuff. So for like two years, my two first years in Bitcoin, I was mostly um, clueless about how Bitcoin worked. But I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by a lot of very smart OGs, translating their kind of thought process to the mainstream. And I kind of had the... uh, the, the Richard Feynman approach to uh, uh, learning, which says, I learned about Bitcoin by explaining it to people and trying to dumb it down for them. Um, about two years in the, the Bitcoin advocacy and lobbying kind of adventure, we at the Bitcoin Embassy kind of got all our goals uh, accomplished. Our goal was to get a form of regulation in Canada where Bitcoin would be just considered as a foreign currency and uh, all the regulations applying to currency would apply to Bitcoin, so there would be no special Bitcoin law, no Bitcoin bit license. Let's just use every like framework that we have right now concerning currency trading and apply that to Bitcoin, um, which is very good. I mean, uh, uh, it's pretty high KYC limits, uh, pretty low reporting requirements, and that kind, of, that kind of stuff. So when we got that going, like, okay, so what else is there to do for Bitcoin lobbying? Well, not much. <laughs> um, as long as the government's not actively going after us, which was the case, like we don't need the lobbying branch anymore. So we kind of closed that down. Um, and then for a few years after that, I did cash to Bitcoin trading at the Bitcoin embassy. So, I mean, we traded millions and millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin and cash at our at our physical desk. Uh, fast forward to 2015, 2016, I started this company called Satoshi Portal, and we are building um, financial software apps that are much like Coinbase for people to buy Bitcoin online, connect their bank account, and so forth. Um, I took over a company called Bills uh, late 2015. Bills was started in 2013, which makes it Canada's oldest I think Bitcoin company. one of the oldest Bitcoin companies out there still still in operation. Uh, uh, it's a very Lindy company, uh, we could say. Um, and Bills allows Canadians to send Bitcoin to a platform and have a fiat payment sent to a recipient. Uh, so it's a payment processor. But unlike BitPay, the recipient doesn't sign up. It's the sender that signs up. The recipient just gives us the sender's bank account or uh, bill payment details. So the recipient doesn't have a choice except Bitcoin payments coming from you, right? Uh, he just gets a fiat deposit from us. Um, so we, I ran bills and uh, Satoshi Portal for a couple of years um, until uh, late last year, late, well, late 2018, I merged Bill Satoshi Portal, which were one company, with this other company from uh, from Canada called Bitcoin Brains. Bitcoin Brains uh, is run by a guy named Dave Bradley. He was uh, he's the earliest like Bitcoin entrepreneur that I know of uh, in this space. He's been in Bitcoin since 2011, and uh, they started a Bitcoin store in 2013, selling Bitcoins and Bitcoin mining equipment. So we merged our two OTC brokerage businesses together um, and software stack together to form a new company called Bull Bitcoin. So Bull Bitcoin is kind of a um, uh, a merger, conceptual merger of BitPay and Coinbase uh, as one kind of entity. And I think we can talk a little bit about, more about like Bull Bitcoin is a little bit different from from most companies in that it's a, it's an activist company. It has a very radical core values. Um, that is trying to and it's trying to shape the way that the Bitcoin ecosystem is moving. Um, and it was created as a direct response to the, the bad behaviors of other companies. So, for example, Pierre, you uh, you had that petition going uh, to get, which uh, was just a great idea, uh, to, to become the CEO of Coinbase uh, because you probably recognize, as I did, that Coinbase has a huge market share and it is actually influencing the way things are going. Uh, so you might want to be the head of that in order to have a positive uh, influence on the ecosystem. In our case, we're like, well, it's actually possible for us to take Coinbase's market share in Canada because of the um, differences in the KM market. So we started to have this idea, let's kick out Coinbase and BPF Canada. Let's actually do it. And how are we going to do that? Well, we can either accept a $20 million VC check or we can merge a bunch of companies that are uh, run by single shareholder early adopters and make a kind of a, uh, we could call it a kind of a confederation of, of early Bitcoin adopters uh, into one entity. So that's that, that's what I've been doing. And more recently, over the past year and a half, I've been um, obsessed uh, with building full node usability software, um, uh, a very time-consuming and expensive hobby. Uh, so uh, in the meantime that we're building uh, this financial uh, exchange software stack, we're also doing stuff very much along the lines of what Pierre is doing with his node launcher, uh, what BTC Pay is doing and what Kazai is doing.
3: Awesome, fantastic. Um, so, how how is the Canadian market for bitcoins different than the U.S. market for bitcoins? Um, it's
4: it's different in many ways. Uh, it's kind of hard to to explain exactly what makes it different, but I would say one, it's the analogy that I use is Canada is the Afghanistan of Bitcoin exchanges, hmm. and that's kind of the end result. And what does that mean is that um, foreign companies, they kind of come here with a lot of VC funding and a lot of manpower, uh, but they cannot succeed. Coinbase did not succeed in Canada. BitPay did not succeed. Kraken has like 100 Bitcoins of volume a day in Canada. Um And these are the last three ones that are operating here. I mean, you can count probably like a hundred companies that announced a Canadian launch and that never made it. There's regulatory, there's um, market, there's banking relationship, there's payment processing relationships involved. Um, And there's also this, um, you know, Canada's kind of a really small community and and a lot of people, it's, it's a big Bitcoin community, but it's divided in like three cities and a lot of people kind of know each other. And a lot of the uh, the the marketing, the branding in Canada comes from word of mouth, local meetups. It's a very grassroots community, I would say, or ecosystem. Um, so, uh, what we were able to do is kind of like knowing the terrain extremely well, knowing the users really well, knowing the banks because, like, we know the bankers because we meet at the cocktails and stuff. We were able to navigate our way through like the tunnels, getting help from the villagers. Uh, while the foreigners just came with their big helicopters and just eventually left as they they couldn't sustain their expenses. Uh, We had much lower expenses in in grabbing that market share, for example. So the end result of Canada is that you have like 15 uh, mid to small OTC brokerages, no massive Bitcoin company in Canada, and um, one or two liquid order book exchanges, and even one now since Quadriga is basically out of the game now. Um, so it's a much more decentralized ecosystem, but which is lacking a, a sustainable market uh, leader uh, that people can depend on to
3: exist in five years. Awesome. So that's bull Bitcoin, right? That is it. Yes. Awesome. Um, and then on on the node launcher, so like I think that the way I kind of see that is there's there's different use cases and they call for completely different software architectures. So like um, the, the Docker use case that you're going after is really about servers and providing like a kind of a backbone for other uh, things that you can build on top of that. Uh, And then like BTC pay server is very focused on WordPress, you know, plugin type uh, two clicks and you're on Azure, not, like, yeah, it is customizable, but it's not uh, mm-hmm. like like yours is. Is that a good read on it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So when we started CypherNode, um, well, the first thing is, like, we needed it for ourselves, right? Um, so, But we also wanted it to be extremely generic because we had CypherNode for ourselves for a little while. We didn't need to open source our backend. We wanted to make it a very, very genetic software product. And the reasoning behind CypherNode um, at a very high level is that we are targeting, um, it, originally we were targeting startups and companies that are offering Bitcoin services to the public, but themselves relying on other startups and companies to, for their node services. Specifically, what I'm talking about is, um, uh, imagine, for example, that you're launching a payment processor in Europe um, to do Lightning uh, payments. You might want to use a third-party API that offers a Lightning node, or you might want to use a, a third-party ex, uh, uh, blockchain explorer to just tell you via an HTTP call, HTTP call that you receive Bitcoin so you don't have to manage your node yourself. Um, so what we did is we kind of open-sourced the, uh, the backend infrastructure of these companies so that people can run it themselves as a self-hosted server. The other thing that we did is we realized that we need to run a bunch of software, a bunch of utilities in our app that nobody's going to build, use themselves if they can't have it, like the business logic already as a service. For example, um, we have a, a, like a PyCoin utility in the CipherNode stack for anybody that needs to derive keys, generate keys, validate keys. Any kind of app, we need to run their own library and their app to do that normally. So if we include that in CipherNode, they can outsource that to CypherNode. There's a bunch of stuff like PGP, for example. If you want to have PGP messages, we have a PGP component in CypherNode. PyCoin, uh, Open Timestamps, Lightning. And all of these components have a business logic, for example, callbacks, webhooks, time servers, etc. So once we have this, this is kind of like a backend as a service for all Bitcoin operations you can think of. So that doesn't need to have any business logic on top of it or any user interface or anything like that. It's just an API. But once we're there, realize, okay, so if we can build a user interface over that API, then you, your user interface can control the Bitcoin Core Wallet. It can control the Lightning Wallet and it can control PyCoin and OpenTimeTime, for example. So how about... So the next step of the CypherNode project is um, building a user interface with when people launch their CypherNode API, well, they can connect to it via API, or they can actually interact with the functions uh, with a graphical user interface. So then CypherNode becomes a wallet. It's not a wallet, because it's just an interface over your actual wallets. Um, So that's the second part. So the first part is API. The second part is the user interface. And the third part is the launcher. So when you're installing CypherNode, um, ideally, if everything's running correctly, you're, you're launching uh, one line of code to, to get the installation going. Um, you got got like a little config questionnaire. Um, but then um, the launcher will do like 100 operations of software to launch a bunch of dockers, to configure a bunch of dockers. So generally speaking, um, I'm pretty sure in about a year, uh, CipherNode is going to be able to be installed on a on a cloud platform with a few one clicks, like Azure has for BTC Pay, and uh, there's going to be a nice um, user interface which people will be inter- able to interact with their cold card and their Trezor. Um, my idea of a Bitcoin wallet is that it is just a interface connecting your hardware wallet to your full node. That's my idea of what a Bitcoin wallet should be, and uh, hopefully we make it super super easy so that uh, people are running their full nodes and all of that idea. Was uh, the byproduct of us doing USF advocacy and realizing through the USF advocacy just how desperate the situation was in terms of running their own node. And also comes from another idea, which is that the value proposition of Bitcoin itself does not derive from software. It derives from the skin in the game of full node running network participants, which are enforcing the rules of immutability, enforcing the rules of scarcity. Um, uh, Censorship resistance and trustless validation. So, if you look at it that way, um, the value of Bitcoin itself depends on a wide network of users running nodes. So, I came into this uh, this argument with some Bitcoiners that tell me, "Well, you know what? There's no externalities in Bitcoin. If other people are not running their own nodes, well, they'll get wrecked, and that's too bad for them." Well okay, that might be true from a very philosophical standpoint. And I agree that over, let's say, 80 years, the non-full node running users will get wrecked. And there's going to be a kind of a a survival mechanism by which users start to run nodes for their own self-defense. However, in the short term, if, you know, there can be a SegWit 2X happening. And I think we all agree that a SegWit 2X hard fork, even though it will disappear after a few years, is a bad thing. And I think we can all agree that, um, uh, I will personally suffer. And for example, uh, if you look at Ethereum, right? Um, Ethereum users uh, didn't the, the situation. The situation in Ethereum, where all the power got centralized around like two or three companies, like Consensus, uh, the EEA, and the EFF. I mean, that's a scenario which is possible to happen in Bitcoin, and that could last, um, you know, three to six, seven years or something like that. So we want to make sure that even though in the long term people will run their nodes and because otherwise they will get wrecked. We would still want to make it very, very, very easy for people to do it now so that um, even though they – just because, like, I don't want people to get wrecked uh, for the system to learn. I mean, antifragility is good, but anti-fragility has a lot of uh, collateral damage. Um, so if a user wants to run a node but he's technically unable to run a node and he doesn't actually see the benefit of running a node that much – but he does definitely see the cost of running a lot. Um, I think it's kind of, I mean, he should know better, uh, but he doesn't know better, and it's not his fault. It took me like four years to know better, right? I mean, I wasn't born like a hardcore cypherpunk maximalist, Um, so if I can can save that learning curve, and if I can save that collateral damage for a bunch of people, and at the same time, uh, make Bitcoin's value proposition more robust in the short term, not just the long term. Then I think it's definitely a worth worthwhile investment for the company to do that.
5: Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, they, people use a lot of phrases like, oh, the market will decide, the market will, you know, emerge in a certain way. And like you're saying, like in the long run, yes, it'll happen. But what they also forget is that market process of deciding is the decisions of individuals uh, at the margin. So why not just make the the good choices now, as opposed to you know letting letting everyone else like you are part of the market too. You can make choices
4: for yourself. Absolutely, and you know what, Bib70 did not emerge as an invoicing standard, and I don't think it's a good standard, right? So for example, Bib70 did not emerge as an invoicing standard because the market of Bitcoin users spontaneously decided to adopt Bib70. Um, is because the dominant market player decided to make it a hill they wanted to die on to push BIP-70, and they, they they wanted to push that standard on, right? Um, and uh, uh, BitPay, the market is not a thing that is outside of ourselves. The market is ourselves, yeah. right? So if we want the market to move in one direction, and this is the idea behind Bitcoin. also, it's uh, there is no voting in Bitcoin, right? I cannot vote Coinbase out. The only thing I can do is as a market participant, I can take such market share that I can infuse my own DNA in this ecosystem through the market share. So that's what people don't get. Um, a lot of and the people who will say will follow the market are usually the Bitcoin companies that were Silicon Valley companies that got into Bitcoin because it was, um, you know, they had the choice: are we going to go into AI, Bitcoin, or IoT, or big data, or whatever in like 2013? And they're like, oh well. You know, our market research shows that going into Bitcoin now is probably a good move. Let's get into Bitcoin now. And, and they, they, they can print their own money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, did this, then they learned a few years later, oh, we can also print our money. This is a, a nice byproduct of getting into Bitcoin early is, is you get this chance to print your money with, uh, with the existing infrastructure you have. But, um, yeah, so um, uh, exactly like uh, like uh, Coinbase did it accidentally. Uh, they, it's kind of like saying, like, they didn't deserve their market share. Right, and and the fact that they have their market share is not necessarily good for everyone. Uh, and the only thing we can do about it is to take it from them uh, by outcompeting them in our local market.
3: Awesome. And then the other part too is that like the 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 discussions about scaling and about running your own node often focus on uh, kind of the costs of bandwidth and of RAM and of CPU and disk. Uh, But if you actually, like, ask people why they don't run a full node, um, that's often not the reason that they cite. That might be, like, a third of the people out there where they just don't have the hardware or the Internet connection to run. Two-thirds have, like, various excuses about how it's – and these are, like, perfectly valid excuses. Like, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that they're excuses in the sense that they're not valid Um, – of it being inconvenient or them just not knowing like how to do it, what to expect. Uh, and that's where just plain old education uh, can onboard a bunch of people into being full node users. Um, and then for me, it was like, I am i wrote the node launcher, not because like I, I had in mind that there would be a lot of demand for it, but really to scratch my own itch. Like I, I did find it annoying to have to go into the command line. Like I don't like the command line, uh, so, <laughs> have, building a GUI over that uh, just seemed like a, a no-brainer.
4: Absolutely. And I'm not a programmer myself. I learned how to use the command line uh, in the context of building CypherNode with my other programmers, where there are sometimes I was like, I really want to test out this feature or stuff like that. And I totally agree with your assessment. And that's why I disagree with, for example, Luke Jr.'s assessment of how the the... the how we should look at the network evolving. So Luke Jr. for example will say, no one's running nodes, and that's probably because the blocks are already too big, um, because he has a really shitty computer probably in his house or something, um, and and uh, he say and uh, and his assessment is okay if we want more people to run nodes, um, then we need to reduce the size of the blocks, which isn't necessarily an entirely bad argument in itself, um, but that's not the reason why people uh, don't run full nodes. Um, I did a few polls. Uh, and that is, is the same reason for users and startups and companies. Um, and the reason is is never disk space and it's never bandwidth. And it's like running a full node is, is complicated. The RPC is really not useful. Um, if I'm if I'm running a full node in the cloud and just connecting to you via RPC, there's all sorts of, of security risks to it, launching it, maintaining it. Um, maybe the sync time is an issue, but... Not that much because a lot of people are used to like downloading software that takes a few like a, maybe not a few days normally but a few hours. It's it's you know someone someone wants to download Bitcoin and is angry that it's taking a data sync versus just opening a wallet. Um, they can do both. You can open a wallet for for a transaction in the store right now or to get Bitcoins from your friend right away and sync it later at your house. Um, but yeah, for me it's it's totally just the usability of it and um, using. And also launching a node on a, a, on a hardware which is not your computer that you use on a day-to-day basis is very important for a lot of people. Because if I'm, if I'm using Bitcoin, I don't want my video game to bug every time a blog gets downloaded, which happens. I mean, not, not anymore because Bitcoin Core is getting much better. Uh, this is kind of like one of the main differences between Bitcoin Core and Ethereum, for example. Is it is becoming easier to run Bitcoin Core nodes. And it's becoming harder to run Ethereum node. Back in 2013, like you can't play a video game on your computer because every time your node receives a block, your whole computer is like freezing because like the CPU is getting like jacked up. And, uh, you know, so so yeah, um, making it easy is the only thing we can do.
3: The other aspect is also that when it does take a week or two weeks to sync Bitcoin, it should communicate to you why that is like if yeah. it if it's because you have a very slow you know 5400 rpm hard drive or 1 gigabyte of ram or like a very slow internet connection that way people can actually improve uh, the the bottleneck
4: yeah and there's 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 easy fixes that are on at the app layer uh, for example at the launcher site that we can deploy to fix this issue for example um on luna Node, which is a cloud provider which btcpay uses and that we're going to be using um, we're developing a launcher, which is going to be able to control on behalf of the user some virtual machines via API. And what we can do is, all right, um, let's launch a virtual machine that's going to be the most expensive virtual machine anybody can get. It's 50 cents an hour. That's a lot of money for like running a, like a server. But we can deploy a, a virtual machine at 50 cents an hour um, and sync Bitcoin in three hours and then copy yeah. that image put it on a a really slow VM, a normal VM, or you can download that image onto your own computer, running on your own computer. So this is what I'm advocating for. This is why I like CypherNode. It's like we can can get efficiencies over the reference implementation softwares without playing into them that much and breaking anything. For example, in C-Lightning, there is no function to connect and fund at the same time. That's Mm -hmm. inconvenient for a full node user. So how about we write our own function on top of C-Lightning which does two API calls, two RPC calls. Um, same thing with Bitcoin Core. does not allow you to watch an XPUB. Very inconvenient. Much more convenient to use a third-party block explorer in that case. Um, but you can have an XPUB watcher in Bitcoin Core by doing, for example, seven different operations in Bitcoin Core and installing a webhook. Um, so without having to play into Bitcoin Core... Uh, we can make Bitcoin Core easier to use with this this added layers. And I think this is where the industry is going. And what Bitcoin was missing is a really robust middleware layer uh, for apps and also a really robust graphical user interface uh, layer. And that's what we're getting in 2018, 2019. I think 2018, 2019 is like the years of like making it easy to run your own node. Um, and we're definitely going to see the dividends of that when we do the soft forks in, let's say, 18 months from now.
3: Yeah, w- one of the... One of the reasons that running a full node has become like a must right now for people who are really into Bitcoin is that to be on mainnet with Lightning, you need to connect your uh, Lightning node to a full node. But that's going to change this year uh, with Neutrino. So what's your read on that situation? We've we've seen some Twitter controversy over it.
4: Yeah, so I didn't pay that much attention to Neutrino because my effort was always been um, instead of finding uh, acceptable compromises between running a full node and running a custodial uh, node or something, custodial wallet, let's just make it easier to run a full node. So I don't have a really good read on Neutrino. Um, I don't think it's wrong that people are making uh, these compromise solutions, uh, and I don't know if Neutrino is a compromise solution. For, for, for all I know, it's a really great solution. Um, I, I'm not an expert on it at all, um, but the. Because Lightning requires uh, a full node to use, I think it's a good occasion to get people interested in running full nodes. Um, I think right now, realistically, Lightning is not like a must-have in the Bitcoin network. Uh, Lightning is definitely like a nice-to-have in Bitcoin. Um, it's going to be a must-have down the line. Uh, so I think we should, instead of like, for example, I don't like the custodial wallets. I had I had an issue with uh, Blue Wallets. Um, I, ha- I have you know. Uh, the, the 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 Satoshi wallet or like Wallet of Satoshi I think it's called it's a custodial Lightning mm-hmm. wallet. Um, it essentially is a novelty that allows you to to do almost like a magic trick on your computer to show your friends like Oh look at that I can make the the screen change color if I press this button on my but there's there's no like lightning going on like in the well you're not controlling any lightning I mean you're right. just it's almost like you're, you're, you're asking a friend to pay for you um, an invoice and and you're very happy that it's the, the screen is changing on your browser and you can see a payment happening. So I'm not super excited about that. Um, but yes, the fact that you need a full node to run Lightning is almost a good thing at this point because it's definitely increasing the number of, of fully validating nodes. And it's increasing the number of also private Bitcoin core nodes. Um, we're not seeing it that much on BitNodes.io, for example, but the amount of Bitcoin core nodes running in the network, I think it's probably over 100,000 at this point. And it was about like fifty to 40,000, uh, I think last, last time I checked on Luke Jr.'s software like a year and a half ago. Um, so yeah, so good, good, good progress there. And I mean, re- realistically, um, in, in terms of the uh, priorities of, of Lightning development, I don't think we should at all be trying to make it so easy for users to run Lightning without a full node. I think, for example, we should make it a lot more easy for like users to receive payments in Lightning. Right now, the entire design of Lightning is made on merchants. Like, we need to get merchants to accept Lightning. But there is not a lot of infrastructure to have users receive payouts in a very, very seamless way. Um, there's not a lot of, of infrastructure, for example, for, um, yeah, I mean, automated payouts is just, to me, is like one of the no-brainers. So. Uh, a payment protocol, for example, there's no there's no real payments. There is BOLT 11 and an invoicing protocol, but there's no payments protocol to send, for example, other information between Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin wallets and Lightning, like we have uh, in Bitcoin with BIP 70, which is a bad one. But I mean, we would need to focus on that, for example. Um, so yeah, Lightning, um a nice to have for now, and let's just focus on on making Lightning uh, extremely good. For the advanced users that are effectively testing it right now, uh, no one's really using Lightning for e-commerce. That's that's not true. Like anybody who's paying in Lightning right now would be just as happy paying in Bitcoin. They're just doing it because they're fans of Lightning. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts on that, where that's going. But I mean, I, I think realistically, Lightning um, is is just I'm a fan of Lightning. Just so we're clear, and it is happening much much faster than I than I thought that we would. Um, but it's not a it's it's not a it's not a magic bullet for for some some problem because um there's no urgent problem right now that I see in Bitcoin that lightning would solve I don't think the fee situation is a problem, and I really don't think that the ten block uh, the ten minutes block time for most merchants is a problem because if you think about it, a unconfirmed bitcoin transaction in my opinion is uh, is harder to to defraud than a credit card payment at this time.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other thing, too, is that, like, if we look at... Yeah, on-chain right now, fees are, like, a Sotoshi of per byte if you're not in a hurry, uh, which means that it's, like, less than a penny to send a payment. Now, blocks are, like, 90% full. So sometimes there are spikes and it goes up quite a bit, but nothing like December 2017 mm-hmm. when... Fees, like in U.S. dollars, were like twenty-five to thirty-five dollars for sending a transaction. But I, I think that's going to come back eventually. Um, maybe not this year. Maybe this year it goes up a little bit. But uh, during the next bull market, and then and then I think the the, the conversation and the the sense of urgency about uh, Lightning will change.
4: Yeah. No. To- totally. I I did get the so the reason why I started to uh, hire a bunch of guys to work on node was. December twenty seventeen, I paid a one thousand and two dollar Bitcoin transaction fee, and uh, that's because bills uh, accumulates a shit ton of like small UTXOs, right? So like you know sometimes I will make a a, a transaction with like three hundred inputs in it, right? Um, so it's it's uh, you know that's that was about three four dollars per per input in that at that time, and I was like holy shit, like the bills business model is not sustainable unless lightning happens. And that's really where I, I was like, Holy shit. Like my business will peep, Bitcoin will succeed. Uh, people will still be using Bitcoin, but they're not going to be paying their bills with Bitcoin. And that's what my business is. So I'm like, shit, I need to get lightning uh, rolling in. And I really think we'll see a uh, much higher transaction fees in the future because Bitcoin is a black. And this is funny because I was tweeting about this. I got a bit, I, I got a bit triggered, uh, not too much publicly, like very privately, on a lot of the uh, mathematical modeling and analysis of the fee market, uh, which some people are using as a way to advocate some, for some potential changes to the Bitcoin protocol. I thought we were done with this, but apparently uh, uh, new changes are, are, are being proposed by, by, some Bitcoin, right, by, by some Bitcoin influencers. And uh, the fee market is going to get positive and, and negative black swans to it. Uh, a negative black swan might be like Jeff Garza's, company, very block. Dev Garzik, by the way, is not out of the picture. He's still financing projects that are attacking Bitcoin. Like, very block. A blockchain, proof of proof blockchain. So a blockchain that timestamps other blockchains into Bitcoin or some ridiculous thing like that. Uh, definitely a Rube group machine. But, they're the ones who completely fucked, sorry, who completely wrecked uh, the, the testnet uh, fee market a few months ago. I don't know if you remember the testnet just, like, not working for Lightning, because the fees were always swinging incredibly, um, and uh, nodes couldn't get like good updates on the fees. That was Jeff Garza's company spanning the Bitcoin testnet, and now they're spanning the Bitcoin mainnet. So um, why is because they have a lot of VC funding, and instead of making a scalable solution like open timestamp, they're like, oh, we can just use this really bad, inefficient use of block space because... We're getting more value from being able to present a product that's ready to a VC than the cost of the Bitcoin transaction, uh, because nobody's actually like paying for block Like nobody's paying for that. It's just a a, a show of smoking mirrors for a VC. Uh, you can also have a uh, they imagine that like Fidelity Investments, they decide to have a prototype where they're gonna be uh, spending um, 15 bucks a day on transaction fees to do one cents transactions on the Bitcoin that can happen and the, the cost is going to be externalized on the other Bitcoin users and it's gonna take a really long time for the market to punish very block and fidelity um, because they're 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 competing with legit users with the subsidy of VCS or the subsidy of the experimentation um, so that that can happen in the fee market I mean the, the, some a one player can bring the fee market up so lightning is kind of like an insurance policy against a black swan in the fee market. And the other component of that is I don't think we should be worried at all about um, the fee market not being able to sustain itself in the future. If we look for many reasons, uh, the main reason is that people, when they look at the value of a Bitcoin transaction and what we li- people are willing to pay for it, they're usually looking at comparing it to PayPal or to Visa or whatever. It's like, Bitcoin must be X cheaper than Visa uh, because a Bitcoin transaction is a substitute for a credit card transaction or something of that nature. But that's not true. A Bitcoin transaction is also a substitute for the ju- judicial system, for, for, for lawyers, for auditors, for notaries, for assurance, for certification, and a bunch of other stuff. So in the future, will a Bitcoin transaction be $10,000 U.S. in uh, 2,100? hundred? Maybe. Um, But is there going to be a black swan technological invention, which allows this $10,000 transaction to power $100 trillion worth of value, because that transaction is the settlement closing transaction of a smart contract network or another layer, which is itself securing the unit of account Bitcoin um, uh, through the, the possibility, like a Bitcoin transaction is only useful when there's a disagreement. Right. So, like, if we all trust each other and everything's going fine, we can use like other solutions than, than an actual Bitcoin transaction, which is requiring proof of work. The Bitcoin, the, the use of proof of work is the use of a third party arbiter to move funds from A to Z. So, if we have, like, for example, a sidechain layer, a Lightning Network layer, or whatever we haven't even thought of is going to exist in the future layer, um, that can be secured with one Bitcoin transaction. So, if you look at the fee market again in the future, uh, people say, well, nobody's going to be willing to, to pay for a $10,000 uh, transaction fee. And that's what my math is showing is going to cost in the future to secure Bitcoin. Well, first of all, your math is wrong. I can tell you that already. Um, I know for a fact, without even looking at your math, that it's wrong because it is impossible that your math will be right in a few years from now, first of all. And second of all, you're claiming that people will, be paying, will not be willing to do things. Um, and you have no idea because who knows? if users aren't going to have a way to trustlessly open a channel, like maybe we'll get a million Bitcoin users that are going to be using onboarding to lightning with one transaction. Who knows? Like yeah. who could, uh, you know, mass is coming, Schnorr is coming, all these things are coming. So like predicting future problems and then trying to found, find, find solutions today, um, I, well, it's a symptom of being bored also because the bear market is boring.
3: Francis, let's, let's, let's be honest here. There's another thing going on, which is that right after this criticism, they follow it up with shilling their point of stake coin. Oh, their, right. Their, their proof yeah. of stake coin. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not like this is all just hypothetical, them theorizing about academic problems. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to sell a product uh, by talking down the competition uh, which uh, you know, I think is is a little ridiculous because they should be able to sell their product by by talking it up. But here I, we are. I
4: wonder if this has anything to do with
3: grin? Well, there's grin. There's decred. I mean, there but also Ethereum switching to proof of stake. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. just a lot of shit coiners out there, you know? Because the
4: the grin inflation. I mean, people might become inflation apologists soon because they have such grinbacks. They're like, oh, I'm I'm hedging against I'm hedging against. Uh, uh, the scarcity uh, with this inflation coin, and then they'll start making arguments, pros and cons. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean,
3: I'm- yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, the 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 market does not care. The liquidity will go where the liquidity goes, uh, and I think we know that's going to be Bitcoin. But yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the benefit
4: of of holding only Bitcoin is that you don't need to make uh, uh, these compromises with yourself.
3: Yeah.
5: And regards uh, like the transaction fees. I mean, if you're having an honest conversation, you're not just trying to sell a Uh, shitcoin. If if fees manage to get to what ten thousand dollars a transaction, that also shows you someone's willing to pay it. It's very similar. And they need to. you disagree? Do you think there's no? No, I agree entirely. I
4: mean, someone. It's just
5: like with the the Bitcoin mining. Is like Oh. oh, how much electricity? It's well because someone values that. So So it's like, maybe, maybe you don't, but others do. And we're going to keep Bitcoining. So
4: uh, absolutely. People need to, like Bitcoin is not free. Okay. And Bitcoin is like, it it is, uh, I'm willing to pay a lot of money for Bitcoin. And we've been paying a lot of money so far with inflation. Like I've gotten my Bitcoin devalued by like 60%. I mean, when I got into Bitcoin, I don't know, there was like maybe 9 million Bitcoins out there. There's 18. So, like, my share of the Bitcoin network, all things considered equal, dropped by, like, half over the last, like, five years, right? Um, And, you know, uh, inflation is a necessary subsidy to bootstrap a network which no one is willing to pay for. So the reason why Satoshi created this this big inflation in the beginning is that he knew that no one's going to be paying for Bitcoin transactions because no one's actually, like, using Bitcoin to transact – for the first four, five, six years, they're using Bitcoin as a store of value, and they're speculating on Bitcoin. And like, if we want Bitcoin to have security while no one's using it, we need to subsidize it with inflation. That's bad, but that's necessary. Um, and that was, you know, that was a trade-off of early adopters. Is like, you can get into Bitcoin early, but you're gonna get, you know, devalued like crazy, and you're gonna pay the miners by having your your store of value devalued. Um, but in the future, I mean. People need to pay. I mean, we subsidized it for future users already. And that's the criticism that I have with all these coins is that ultimately every coin that launches a coin is launching a coin because no one's paying for transaction fees. And that's the only way that they can secure the network. They need inflation. They need that subsidy. But it's kind of like Bitcoin needs to grow up. It's like it's like a baby. Like right? It's okay to protect your little baby. It's okay to hold your baby by the hand and like feed it. But like once the baby's 18 years old, it's like, you know, get out of here, pay your own rent and like go go get a job. Hmm. I
5: I guess I never shared that sort of uh, any kind of negative feeling towards quote unquote Bitcoin inflation just because Mm -hmm. I almost I, I, I guess you can call it inflation, but I always knew like, you know, it's just allocating bitcoins that we already know will exist, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. opposed to as opposed to you know a a Fed chairman showing up and saying, "Hey, we're changing the right. interest rates." So right. like I, I didn't I didn't come at it with the same mentality of like actual yeah. sort of political inflation because of uh, because of that. So, um, but, but, it was but you a choice are though. you are right uh, in on on all accounts. You know, it, uh, it was a
4: design it was a design choice by Satoshi, and it, it may be. It may be the one criticism that I have for Satoshi, which is he envisioned a bootstrap phase that's like 10 years. Because if you think about it, like from 29 to 2019, like 80, what, 82% of bitcoins have been mined or something, maybe? Like, I'm not sure, 85 or something. So it's like, in that scenario, like after, like, let's say 90% of bitcoins have been mined, like people need to start paying transaction fees right, to sustain the network. And I, if, if I was to talk to Satoshi, I would say, you're very confident in our ability to bootstrap Bitcoin and generate enough demand for transaction fees by 2019. But I think you should give us another 10 years. So for example, I may have done the inflation schedule a little bit less aggressive in the beginning just to give us maybe another 10 years because 10 years is like an actual really long time. Um, but Satoshi decided to go with a very, very aggressive and you know what, in hindsight, it may be a good thing because it means that the dumb money is not going to get such a bigger share. Um, you know, people complain, they're like, oh, well, Bitcoin's not democrat- democratic enough because think of all the people in Africa that would have loved to buy Bitcoin in 2011, but didn't have any computers or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but is it really unfair to have the early adopters have such a larger share? Maybe. Um, but I'm pretty happy with the holding demographics of Bitcoin, in the sense that I uh, Roger is the only, and uh, uh, I'm not sure if he's still a whale. But Roger is like the one of the only like whales, uh, which I think it's a bad thing that they have a lot of Bitcoins. But there's a lot of secret uh, billionaire, multi in Bitcoin that most people don't know. But I, I know I know a lot of very large holders that are not known people, and I'm pretty happy they're the ones that are that are. That are holding bitcoins. Um, so, I mean, for many years,
5: uh, you know, even since some of my early days in Bitcoin, trying to think through this, and of course, you know, I was a broke college kid, so I had to, you know, come to terms with the fact that I would not want, be one of those whales. Um, but th- there is a, y- you can think of it in sort of like a like the Coast Theorem in a way, where it's like because people have different time preferences. Uh, mm-hmm. even if it, the, the early adopters who managed to actually hold their coins through all of this and become, you know, uh, you know, if they're multimillionaires now, whatever they will be, you know, post hyper bitcoinization, mm-hmm. uh, that is a pretty good proxy for a lot of, of very uh pro social uh characters in a person, yeah, yeah well, so I,
4: I, absolutely,
5: and meanwhile, and, like. If you're if you're not one of those early people, there's yeah. going to be someone you can sell a Lambo to, yeah, and they get their Lambo so they can be you know ha- have their have their hedonistic pleasures or whatever, and you get to have the the Bitcoin. So uh, yeah. I do think that the market works itself out, and there's uh, it, the important thing is just getting the Bitcoins out there more than anything. Yeah.
4: And and one thing I might also mention is kind of like a tangent, but um, you know, you guys know from my post on Twitter, like I learned a lot of you from you guys and from from your thoughts on this, and I actually changed my mind about Bitcoin adoption. I would say over the last two years, based on I'm not sure if it was just like Satoshi Nakamoto Nakamoto Institute post, probably a lot of it also reading um, or rereading the Simtelab and like really diving more into the skin in the game philosophy, but. In terms of like a person whose job was to generate adoption for Bitcoin, I changed my my view on it. I'm actually more interested in the quality of Bitcoiners than the amount of Bitcoiners. And by quality, I mean resources outside of their Bitcoin holdings, and commitment and skin in the game. So I would rather have, for example, a like a, a Einstein level PhD. Uh, uh, CEO uh, decide to put a third of all his wealth into Bitcoin and uh, and stick his reputation by publicly claiming he's uh, into Bitcoin now um, than to have the equivalent amount of money spread out by uh, a thousand passive speculators if we're looking at the adoption of Bitcoin as a goal that we should pursue. um, Adoption will happen uh, and I, I think the most The most influential phrase for me by Pierre is like, people will not use Bitcoin because they're objectively analyzing the properties of currency X versus currency Y and saying like, huh, this one's 10% more private. I'm going to use the one that's 10%. No, people will be using Bitcoin because they need to eat and because the merchant is only accepting Bitcoin because he can only, uh, Bitcoin is the only currency he can liquidate to buy the rice that he's selling you. Um, So in that sense, I'm not worried too much about forcing Bitcoin adoption because people will adopt it on their own terms. What I'm interested in now is getting more uh, quality skin in the game uh, so that we can repel attacks while Bitcoin is still vulnerable for the next five to 10 years. Um, So, yeah. I I wholeheartedly agree.
5: Uh, Are you, I mean, you've, you've been in libertarian world for a long time. Have you ever read Isaiah's Job by Albert J. Nock?
4: I have not, and that's very. That's can, can you say
5: that again? Uh, Isaiah's job by I Albert J. Work. Nock. I'll, I'll be no. sure to uh, to to share it. Uh, like I'll, I'll DM it to you, and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, but Albert J. Nock was basically writing about you know you know how 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 do you actually create you know your your prophet your Isaiah like how do you go about actually changing the world uh, based mm-hmm. on your you know, your, your vision of things. And he basically talks about how, you know, preaching to the masses, um, uh, everything you say is just going to fall on deaf ears. You know, and that's, that's, you know, some people might say that because of an elitist position towards the masses, but it also just be, there's a lot of people with a lot of stuff going on in their life. They don't have time to, to stop and think about, you know, X, Y, or Z. So instead his focus is on bracing the remnant. So it's about being there as a, a uh, firm pillar of truth, as you mm-hmm. see it, mm-hmm. and sticking to your guns and yeah. being very committed. Yeah. And those who are interested will find you. Um, yeah. And it's your job not to you don't you don't go looking for them; they come looking for you. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and and your job is to to you know help bring them in. Uh, once they find you, and so you know, this is what you know. I, I would say Pierre and I have been trying to do for the past many years. And mm-hmm. you know, th- the Nakamoto Institute is an example. The uh, Pierre's Note Launcher is an example. All of these things. It's uh, it's just being out there as a a quality source of information, both philosophical and and actionable, and all of that, uh, so that that people can come in and who who are interested and join in this you know grand experiment
4: yeah uh, absolutely and it's almost as if uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna get them in with people's survival instinct and we're gonna uh, subtly be infusing our values and our philosophies as these people are just looking to eat uh, we turn them into sound money advocates and uh, Austrian economics um, and in terms of I think I think uh, that's what distinguishes my, our companies with other people's companies and I think I would place myself in the same category uh in terms of a uh, of an entrepreneur as maybe the samurai wallet developers. Um zap is a really good example. Um wasabi is a good example. A few of the other a few of these other companies I mean of course Bobacon is a bit different because we're an exchange so we have a, a current like revenue model. Um, but uh you know, Jack has been uh, Jack Mahler's from Zap has been a, w- one of my big influencers in this in this idea as well. And it's really the idea of people will be using tools that you create, and the way that they interact with the tool is actually going to be shaping the catalaxy, the the, 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 the spontaneous order, right? So, um, the only way you can shape the, the spontaneous order of the universe, the catalaxy, is a direct result of discrete individual transactions. And the only thing that shapes the global outcome is these transactions which are only relevant on a peer-to-peer basis in any industry. So if we create a tool which shapes the way that two people transact, um, because they're, they're having to uh, themselves a little bit around the tool to get the service, then that's our way to change the outcome, right? So for example, um, not having altcoins in an app, and if you want to, for example, if you want to pay your bills in Canada, you're going through an app which does not allow certain things to happen. It just becomes a standard that I don't need that. It's not offered there. It just becomes a, a standard when you when you when you use a, an app like Bull Bitcoin. It's not custodial, right? We're not holding your funds, um, and this is a way that. This is the this is our tool. This is and then the 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 overall general outcome is that if people are using these non-custodial solutions or these these Bitcoin only solutions, then gradually over time we can infuse those values. It, we infuse those values into the tool, and through repetitive usage of the tool, our values become social values. Um, so I mean, bull Bitcoin is also like a um I mean we are entrepreneurs out of necessity. Like I would have been very happy to uh, sit on my ass. Uh, keep bills kind of a small, small time app, and uh, and get get my revenue. I mean, the the reason why we're we're creating this this company is like for me, Bitcoin is like political. It's always been political. Uh, it's always been about the the removal of fiat, uh, the fiat standard, the downfall of the fiat standard. Um, and it's always been about it's it's never been like about privacy or about cheap transaction times or about um, just innovating for the sake of innovation. It's like how do we completely unravel a system. So maybe like stepping back, um, when I was in policy analysis, we had this, this, this idea of incremental change where um, we'll gradually be moving the window of political, politically acceptable speech and politically acceptable policies, slightly more towards the free market angle, um, one report at a time. Um, but that's not how, how the world works. The world works in a ratchet which is as soon as you regulate or do give more power, you can never go back. I mean, it only goes that way. So incremental change, rolling back, uh, it, it never works. Uh, the only thing you can do is create an alternative, watch the previous regime collapse entirely and start from scratch, right? Um, that's, and, and so if you have that as a Bitcoin company in mind, um, things start to change for you. For example, bull Bitcoin, when, I, when I'm trying to conceive the value of my company in 10 years, I'm like, oh, probably 95% of the value of my company is going to be our Bitcoin assets that we're accumulating now. And um, what's going to happen in 10 years with bull Bitcoin when there's no more fiat, which is explicitly our objective, is that, you know, this, let's not call it 10 years, let's say like 20 years, when there's no more fiat in 20 years, I mean, we need to have a business plan which has our own obsolescence factored in, um, which is what makes this a Bitcoin maximize company. It's the, the realization that one day... We're not gonna be able to make money from fiat to Bitcoin transactions anymore. So what are we going to be doing in 20 years as a business model? Well, holding on to a bunch of bitcoins is is a pretty satisfying answer. Um, and at that time, you know developing like open source tools or stuff like that, that's that's it. So if if you have that mentality of like seeing yourself in like post hyper Bitcoinization as a Bitcoin company and really imagining like what is the position I want to be in in this post hyper Bitcoinization world, then your whole, whole roadmap changes. Like, uh, like for example, the idea of spending uh, time and energy integrating altcoins for short term profit seems so ludicrous if, if you have this, this, this idea of imagining yourself in a post-hyper-Bitcoinization world. Um, the idea of doing anything which is not increasing your competitive advantage in the Bitcoin-only space and increasing your Bitcoin capabilities, like any, any minute we're spending not doing that, seems like like a million, potential million dollar loss because we're trying to accumulate more Bitcoins now by competing in the Bitcoin space. And, you know, people might be, it's so funny, like imagine someone's making uh, a million more dollars of revenue this year by integrating altcoins, spending half of that money integrating altcoins and with a short-term t- mind frame, like that million dollar of effort could have been translated into 100 Bitcoins which is worth only like, I don't know, half a million bucks. But that 100 Bitcoin on the balance sheet of that company in 10, 15 years could have been enormous, absolutely enormous. So I guess, I guess the, our main philosophy is uh, extreme opportunity costs, like radically extreme opportunity costs. And like, yeah, I, I guess that's the best way to... And, and what, what that does also is it makes you in perfect symbiosis with the Bitcoin network's interest. Um, so there's a reason why we might um, we might always feel aligned with the with Bitcoin itself and not just our company is that we can at best beat Bitcoin, right? So like we can we are so fully exposed to Bitcoin that we can at best beat Bitcoin, and because our revenues and our profits are denominated in Bitcoin, by making Bitcoin better itself, we compound our revenues, right? Um, and I just don't, I can't fathom why companies like BitPay and Coinbase don't see that.
3: Well, there's there's like ideological history in both, right? Where they they definitely thought that scaling with on-chain bigger blocks was like the way to go. And, and I think I remember hearing in an interview with Brian Armstrong where he said that like, oh, and also the the idea that miners control the protocol and they vote on the protocol and um so they never really wrapped their heads around like the peer to peer network governance that uh then they got wrecked <laughs> and now mm-hmm. they're all miners. Yeah.
4: yeah well that's because they don't conceive bitcoin as like a, a a monetary phenomenon primarily because if they did they would they would understand that the scarcity of the 21 million uh dollar uh, limit and the and the immutability of the uh, governance rules is the killer app like don't like the killer app of bitcoin is not changing it <laughs> Is that it doesn't change, and it's like, and these guys are like, oh, Bitcoin doesn't have enough killer apps, so we need to create. It's like, no, you just need to kill with Bitcoin, and um, and and again, uh, these these were uh, fintech VCs, fintech entrepreneurs that jumped on the Bitcoin bank wagon, and and you know, objectively, uh, there's Coinbase and BitPay are the only, and Blockchain Info are are some of the only ones that are actually left because. If, if you look at the number of companies that were kind of stupid uh, and that disappeared, there is a lot. It, like so, so who are like the OG companies that a lot of people respect? Um, none of them are perfect, right? But um, y- the, the number of companies that you're looking at right now that have existed for six, seven years and that are still in operation, a lot of them are going to be the kind of companies that did not go with that short-term thinking. I, I think Coinbase, Blockchain, Info, and BitPay are, are uh, exceptions because it had exceptionally large subsidies to to their stupid mistakes.
3: Yeah, that's true. I, I can say that's true for Bitpay firsthand because I worked there but
4: they <laughs> do. I mean how is it possible they're still in operation? I have uh, no idea.
3: Yeah, so they um, first of all, they got bailed out by Bitmain uh, during the bear market and got a subsidy that way. I think it was like a million and a half dollars. um, um, And then that's when they pivoted hard towards uh, Segway2x uh, and then uh, Bcash. Um, And then the other thing was uh, they, uh, during the last bull market, uh, they found a private equity company to invest, like I think it was $45 million in them. So um, they kind of rode the fact that uh, Bitcoin was, you know, the, was in a bull market and that allowed yeah. them to get fresh cash.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, it happens. I mean, it, it, it prevents the market to learn. It delays, it delays market equilibrium. Um, but what can you do?
3: I mean, uh, uh, you got to outcompete them uh, whether yeah, it's BTC pay server or bull Bitcoin bills. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, well, one of the cool things also is like, we need to outcompete them and we still haven't raised a single uh, dollar of VC money, right? I think they're kind of peaking, right? And we're just like, we, and that's also the reason why we can put on a website that we are Cypherpunk maximalists, skin in the game, and that we hate altcoins and that we believe that will disappear is because we were able to make those good decisions. And it's kind of like, I think they, if you get that subsidy too early on, and that kind of goes back also to a very good entrepreneurial philosophy that I might share with the listeners I'm not sure how many entrepreneurs but it's okay to not be scalable for a while it's and in bitcoin if you're scalable in bitcoin like if you're scalable it means that you're not innovating right because if you're scaling something you need to scale an existing process like you're not you can't scale and change as you scale you you iterate and you adapt and you evolve and then once you figure it out like this is what I'm going to be. This is the, the format, the procedures. This is the business philosophy I'm going for. Like now you scale. If you get the money, if you scale too fast, then you can't adapt because you have these commitments to the investors, right? So, I mean, uh, we, uh, if we had raised a shit ton of VC money in 2016, um, maybe I would have been selling Bitcoin, uh, shit coins on bills. Who knows? Maybe I would have lied to myself. And, and, you know, hated myself when I look in the mirror, but still done it yeah. uh, because I had these conflicting uh, these conflicting things inside me. Like, oh, I, I need to I have this commitment to some investors. I need to show them ROI because I pledged to them I was going to have this growth and it's not happening. So I need to integrate some shit coins because or or my personal beliefs. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you're in an industry where... Not only you are able to stick to your core values, but objectively, it seems to me that everybody that sticks to his core values actually increases his Lindy effect over time. So there's no and there's no like there's no conflict, for example, between being a Bitcoin maximalist company and loving profit. And in fact, I've I've went through a lot of uh, a pain to explain to a lot of people like. The, the, the benefits that we get from being a Bitcoin Maximus company with opportunity costs, liabilities, risk, team cohesion, um, having core values, uh, organic referrals and branding, like we're definitely in a position in the industry where if you stick to your core values, you may actually make more profit in the long term. Because also, and it's interesting because the, the influencers in the Bitcoin space are so important. The oracles are so important. And by influencers, I don't mean like the hundred of us that are on Twitter. For example, if you if you uh, uh, are a noob and you wanna buy more than a thousand bucks worth of Bitcoin, you're not gonna Google like, how do I buy Bitcoin? At least not in Canada. In Canada, what people are gonna do, they're gonna ask their friends. They're gonna go on Facebook and they're gonna see, um, hey dude, like I see you posting on Bitcoin a lot. Like where, where should I buy some Bitcoin? I wanna buy some Bitcoin. People will go on a forum. And the person that's going to answer to him is going to be one of the guys that follows us on Twitter. And he's going to be, hey, you should buy them on Bull Bitcoin because they're not a shit corner company and they're not a scammer company. And if I recommend Bull Bitcoin, they're not going to do to me what BitPay did to me. You know what I mean? Like BitPay screwed me over. I, I got so many BitPay referrals when I was younger. Like I would like have an income as BitPay referrals. I would, I would actively solicit big merchants and I would make money, like BitPay referrals, paid my rent for almost a whole year, right? And BitPay screwed me over. So if I can give a guarantee through these core values to the Bitcoin community, you can refer me to the new user base without fearing that I'm gonna screw you over and look like an idiot. And I'm not, you're never gonna go on Twitter to say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't endorse Bitcoin anymore. Actually, you should use this other company. That's never gonna to happen to you if you refer me. Um, so that's that's like a, a big part of our branding strategy into the maximalism is to tap into those core users and say, hey, here's a company that that I can refer without fearing shame, like in a few years. Does that makes sense. So like being a maximalist company is not like it's it doesn't go against our own profit motive. It goes very much for our profit motive. But I think it just requires some people to have imagined the future post hyperbiconization. And I think it, it and a lot of people, they imagine a future post-bikernization, hyper-bikernization. They're like, oh, no, that's too crazy. I can't, that's not actually, it can't happen, right? It's like, it's impossible that I'll be this barren, this new Rothschild. Oh, well, maybe it's not, right? So maybe have a little a creativity and, you know, maybe stop being so afraid of the post-hyper-bikernization world and, you know, Take, take the argument to a logical conclusion, right? Like you have a logical argument. Uh, everybody can understand Bitcoin and follow it to the, to the last step. And the last step is there is no fiat. I'm sorry. It won't coexist in 50 years. You, you cannot say, oh, I have all this logic that leads to fiat not existing. But then that doesn't make sense. Fiat's always been around. It's, it is going to exist. It must exist. No. Um, and you know the altcoins, same for the altcoins, like ninety nine point nine percent of them are scams, but we're gonna live in a in a multi-coin world. Like, no, it's 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 just commit to your own vision, right? And like if you're wrong, be wrong and, and get wrecked. Just don't don't endlessly compromise all the time. It's I, I don't like I'm not a fan of compromise. I'm I'm a fan of of uh, um, you know opt-in, opt-out, uh, you know, and I am a fan of evolution via nat- natural selection. Which requires people to get wrecked um, and endless compromises. It just they, they don't they don't bring about any innovation or evolution.
3: Yep, agreed. Um, we are already over an hour. <laughs> uh, yeah, just say, I hard. for
5: one, I for one am, am happy that Silicon Valley will not be the. Uh, sort of a of bastion of, of Bitcoin in the future. Like that is, that is a, a power structure that is best decentralized.
4: I, I, I'm very happy also because I don't think I can show up at a Silicon Valley cocktail without getting uh, kicked out. I'm, I'm happy it's going to end up so, somewhere else just for my own uh, benefit. I think uh, a bunch of us in uh, in Bitcoin are officially uh, banned from uh, visiting San Francisco. I'm happy no, that's it's probably not, it.
5: not a bad thing. I mean, I thought you were going to say you can't visit a Silicon Valley cocktail thing without you know getting attacked by a homeless oh. person. Oh, well,
4: yeah. well, well, yeah. Well, I would, I would much rather have uh, Calgary, for example, be the the hotspot of uh, Bitcoin worldwide, or or Austin, Texas, for that matter, or pretty much pretty much any other place <laughs> than San Francisco. Um, and uh, maybe may, you know, and maybe the uh, the kind of. Um, internal struggles we're seeing in bitcoin uh cultural struggles mostly social struggles they're also reflective of the the struggles we're seeing with the intellectual dark web you know with uh, nassim taleb jordan peterson um alex jones uh joe rogan all all of this uh so uh that struggle we had in bitcoin with like the let's just call them the bitcoin liberals or the bitcoin npcs um i'm kind of happy we had that struggle because like we won that round like within bitcoin there is no, like the NPCs, the NPC culture, the liberal kind of, I don't want to call it, I don't know how to call it, uh, uh, let's, let's call it that, that culture of, that doesn't believe in humanity that much, uh, actually lost the culture war in Bitcoin much earlier than it lost the culture war everywhere else. So I, I'm pretty happy we had this, uh, you know, S2X was like a, a, a revealing of the cards on whose side is on very early, uh, which is good. And also a very public revealing of who was wrong and who was right, uh, and uh, uh, such and su- such a revelation like S2X would have destroyed Bitcoin, right? And S2X was was pushed by Silicon Valley, and these are these are two facts that you cannot hide, and they cannot hope to reconcile, right? So I mean I mean it, you know I'm afraid of non-Silicon Valley people pushing hostile changes to Bitcoin now because if anybody from the Silicon Valley crew tries to push Changes to Bitcoin this time, it's it's not going to work.
3: Um, well, now that now Bitcoin, they're on the Ethereum, like they don't. I don't yeah. think that any of them care about Bitcoin anymore. Like I, I know that there are Bitcoin maximalists mm. in Silicon Valley, obviously, but yeah. like if you look at the population of it, it's it's yeah. pretty Ethereum or or like DFINITY or like something new, EOS or whatever. Mm. But yeah, yeah.
4: The next the next uh, hostile uh, attacks to Bitcoin, I'm afraid, will be coming from people in the maximalist camp. Agreed. I'm this. And, and and just as a final thoughts to... Uh, it to might be everyone. coming from
3: Francis. Yeah,
4: exactly. And as a final thought, I would say, like, you know, Pierre... do trust anyone.
5: Or, Not even yourself.
4: Yeah. yeah, don't trust me. Please don't trust me. Like, <laughs> a lot of people are like, oh, Francis, you've never fucked up. You never said... I will fuck up, right? I will say something really stupid. Hopefully, I... Like, I'll change. Hopefully, I'll I'll, I'll get wrecked really fast and, like, a- adapt. But I'm, I'm going to say something stupid and and uh you know uh michael and pierre might say something stupid regards to bitcoin so definitely like don't trust us and be careful there was this really funny phrase in riga at the riga conference where someone told me the central the central port of failure in bitcoin is friendship Hmm. because because friendship skews your 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 rational decision making right so i won't call out this person because he's my friend or i won't uh, I'll let this one slide, or, or, or you know, or maybe he's right, or I won't oppose him publicly. Um, so let's just differentiate like people's personas uh, from their from their arguments, and like I'm wrong often, just maybe not on Twitter as much. So don't. Now, right?
3: Just as a funny example of me being wrong on one of our podcasts, I said that the weight limit was eight million weight units, and that's actually. Uh, wrong, it's 4 million weight units. Uh, it would have been 8 million if Jeff Garzik had won, uh, but I, I got called out on Twitter and it was like, okay. <laughs> no, no, Clearly, no. Yeah.
4: And, and I was wrong before. I mean, I remember perfectly uh, thinking uh, that uh, Bitcoin would never scale as a, as a base, the, the, the layer one would remain the same and then we would use Litecoin with a peg on Bitcoin. Like I used to think that. I, I was like, shit. Bitcoin can't scale, but it is the gold. So if Bitcoin is the gold and it can't scale, then we need silver. By metalism, right? yeah. And, and I wasn't like advocating for Litecoin, but I mean, I was wrong. I was completely wrong. On the block size debate, um, I wasn't, uh, you know, in, in private discussion groups before SegWit2X. And I'm I like, I'm should I I'm like afraid to say that even now on this podcast. Like before SegWit2X, there was segwit 2 NB. People forget that. That was the, the first Eric Voorhees attempt. Uh, there was a private like mailing list and like private chat group. And like I was like saying, okay, segue to NB, that's a good compromise. We'll raise the like you do this and that. Like that was that was like before UASF, right? Um but then again, I changed my mind uh really early on. Like I went to speak to other people and they're like, yo, you're crazy, this doesn't work. And I'm like, I, I hadn't seen yet the the impossibility of forking Bitcoin and maintaining consensus, right? So I I, I was still kind of looking at Bitcoin uh, governance from a, um, we can kind of like manage it a little bit. And um, I I hadn't come into that full conclusion. So, you know, who knows? Like how wrong was I? I was very, very wrong on that topic. Hopefully, uh, thankfully, again, I didn't promote it that much uh, or at all because I wasn't confident in it. But who knows how wrong will be in three years? And imagine, imagine the joke on us if, like, in three years, like, we find a way to scale on-chain. Lightning doesn't work. Um, who knows? Like, uh, maybe, maybe we're totally wrong about human nature and uh, and all our thoughts about how the world evolves in economics are complete bollocks. Um, unlikely, but definitely possible. And you know, when, when you when you uh, and when people say do your own research, uh, I don't think that's the right thing to say. Uh, because if you do your own research in Bitcoin, you're just reading other people's thoughts. Think from first principles, okay? Just think from first principles and check your premises. Do check your right thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, check your premise and take it to the logical conclusion. Don't do your own research because doing your own research is just going to be reading my blogs and Giacomo's blogs and Pierre's blogs. Just think for yourself. And like, if it smells funny and it sounds like it's irrational, but this other smart guy has a very uh uh eloquent techno babble speech which disputes your first principles thinking, you should definitely trust your first principles thinking more than this guy's techno babble. Uh even if that guy is is me.
5: Yeah. Bitcoin maximalism, a cult based on anti-cult principles.
4: Exactly. Well <laughs> well, you know, it's it's a good idea for you to listen to us for a little while. Uh Wait. If you're getting into Bitcoin first, uh, I would I would say yeah. Uh, listen to me uh, for the first three four months of your Bitcoin life. Listen to Pierre. Listen to Michael, and then you know start to think from from first principles. Because uh, the difficulty with Bitcoin is that the first principles of Bitcoin are very complex and they're very hard. I mean, it's Austrian economics, it's emergent order, it's uh, and it's you know peer-to-peer networking, um, it's game theory. These are the first principle basis points. to to start off with.
5: We're here to help you you with your initial block downloading.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I would say is, can I take this guy's discourse and reverse engineer it to first principles, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Probably easier than starting from first principles, uh, because that's what kind of like we did, right? So when we started to Bitcoin, we didn't have a lot of, of stuff out there. So we actually had to build a lot from first principles. Um, and for example, like for me, I reverse engineered, you know, like, uh, everyone's a scammer, you know, like the, my favorite, favorite article of all time, everyone's a scammer oh, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and like, I'm looking at that and like, as a merchant accepting Bitcoin, like, Oh shit, that makes sense. Of course. Like I am actually trying to get more Bitcoins, uh, from my users is like, Oh wow, he's right. You know? So deconstructing it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of, for example, like, uh, What's the biggest difference between like Litecoin and Ethereum and like Bitcoin ultimately? Well, Charlie Lee can tweet. We're not going to put RBF in Litecoin. We're going to take it out and it goes out. Uh, Vitalik can tweet with his the Vitalik gavel, you know, consensus. Uh, Vitalik can hammer the gavel and say, we're not, we're not forking now. Um, But if Adam back and Giacomo and me and all of us and everybody that's on Twitter, like a maximalist, if we all tweet at the same time, 150 of us, like, we're going to do this Bitcoin, like nothing is going to happen. You know, Vladimir is going to be like, fuck you.
3: Yeah. I I mean, even if he, he goes along with it, like I think that if, if we were, if, if all the like Bitcoin influencers were essentially to leave the consensus and like be trying to do something like that just doesn't make sense to like, Objectively, you know, doesn't make sense. I, I think that all I would mean is that we're no longer influencers, and like a new generation uh-huh. of people would immediately appear, exactly. uh, and then we would be like the Gavin Andresens or the Jeff Garziks or of whatever previous generation.
4: Yeah, and you know, I I wasn't real on Twitter before 2016, and no. I wasn't influencing anything. It was specifically because the other influencers were advocating for something bad that like. My Twitter account was like two thousand in twenty sixteen. Like yeah. and the, the the difference between the two is very, very, very clearly UASF. It's 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 I, like the, I had it,
5: left Twitter actually I, I guess I've left Twitter a couple of times. Uh, yeah. but you know, Pierre and I specifically came back to Twitter around UASF yeah. specifically oh. for the purpose of yeah. trolling. Yeah. And it's like what what are these people talking about? You don't know what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, so and I, I, down, I right. remember
4: the skepticism regarding USF, which was ve- – it was good skepticism. It was very, very healthy skepticism. And, you know, USF, in, in hindsight, not a lot of people realize that it was a massive bluff. Yeah. It was a total bluff. And and I I shouldn't be saying that too much,
3: but um, – <laughs> yeah, it, it won't work I, next time if you say it too much, Francis. <laughs>
4: but the thing is, it, it will not it, – it won't work next time because I think eventually they figured it out or – Maybe they didn't but I mean um but it's also a totally plausible bluff so in the yeah. future you could do it
3: yeah you, you <laughs> don't actually know a priori like how much of a bluff it is yeah 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 no
4: we don't know a priori like the thing is for example I know I I, I know that I am willing to die on that hill um but I also knew that I was we were not many uh we we looked like the, we were ch- more and that is the reason why I built cypherno is because People wanted to die on that hill, but they couldn't physically reach the hill. Yeah, like they couldn't actually run their own node uh, in time. So, um, but USF was and and but the most important thing that happened to Bitcoin was not UASF. Uh, it was node to X. So UASF showed that there is a consensus and that uh, the consensus will activate. Like, cause there was no consensus around UASF, but USF had, was an activating measure for, for, for another part of consensus. So if we already do have consensus, we can actually implement it. But no 2x was the foundational, foundational. And like when no 2x happened, I, for the first time, like told people to buy Bitcoin. Like personally, I was like, buy Bitcoin because the last obstacle to that. And that was like, even a week before Segway 2x, like, I was like, we're definitely winning. Like this, this is it. And what that showed is something that will easily happen to Ethereum will never happen to Bitcoin. Like, that's the main, if I was to articulate, like, what's the main difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin and Litecoin right now is that Charlie Lee can make a change to Litecoin and Joe Lubin can make a change to Ethereum. I know it's not the main difference. Uh, There's many, many differences. But in terms of, like, the value proposition, Bitcoin's governance rules are like I think we, I, we can't say impossible to change at this point uh, but we, we can have very high degree of certitude that there will be 21 million bitcoins um, I don't have a degree of certitude at all that there's going to be 96 million litecoins zero and I don't even know how many
3: Ethereum there is uh, in the well, future I mean, Yeah, that, that changes all the time so. <laughs> because
4: it changes all the time right so how powerful is that
3: absolutely it's a
4: constant you can depend on like the law of the universe, but it's man-made. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's wonderful.
5: I think with, the, with regards to, you know, everyone's going to say something stupid um, and all that, I think it's going to be really interesting how... I, I imagine there will have to be a way to develop a sort of ethics around uh, controversial ideas. So, for instance, someone might have a controversial idea to to input to the Bitcoin community of like I think Bitcoin would be better if X, and at first it seems really controversial, and then by the end you know it turns out that it's actually it truly is a a an improvement on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, there there it's it'll be interesting to figure out you know what what are the proper what are what are the proper methods of communi- communicating that such that you're not um, ostracizing yourself from the community. Um, while also being able to to share this, and I think you know one thing with like the the Segway 2x, um, one of the simple things they did not do, I, if I remember correctly, was just like go through the sort of proper bip process of sort of garnering that that community consensus before trying to go forward with something.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, to- totally, and there's it's 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 such a tough, uh, it's such a tough like mental exercise to try to think of these things because at some point we say all right we are the market we can create the market we can create consensus and at some other point we're also saying once you're trying to create consensus and you don't and you should abandon but at another point we're also saying well what makes bitcoin powerful is the idea that you can opt out right so there's kind of like You know, I think the ethics would be if you're going to propose a change to Bitcoin, uh, you should uh, uh, submit yourself to peer review and change your mind. Right. If you're wrong, if you're not getting consensus, then you should change your mind. Uh, And if you don't change your mind, uh, you should bear all the costs and all the risks. Um, But even then, I mean, imagine we say, oh, Bitcoin can leave and bear all the costs and risks. Well, that's not necessarily true because there's Bitcoin users that are going to be using BitPay, and you know, using a different. So this is all very complicated stuff. So I think the best way to do it is to not change Bitcoin that much, and then we don't have to deal with all of that stuff. And um, and when we change Bitcoin, make it always backwards compatible, so we don't have to deal with all that stuff. And when we change Bitcoin, it is strictly uh, because of a technical problem or 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 or, or something like. Um, quantum computers, whatever. We need to change uh, the signature algorithm to a quantum right. computing signature algorithm or something being, like that. Being hyper conservative about
5: Bitcoin is the status quo and it's a perfectly yeah. reasonable and suggest- suggested uh, mode of being. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it should just
4: be the default
5: for yeah. people anyway.
4: I think the ethics of Bitcoin is humility in the face of of something that's way too large for you. It's like, it's way, way, way too large for you and the only way that you can influence Bitcoin is by being part of a moment, a rolling momentum, which grows naturally. And like, if you see the momentum growing, like you can push a little bit f- further faster. Um, and if you see your own momentum going in the wrong direction, then either you'll get wrecked, right. Or, or you assure yourself not getting, you, you readapt, but it's really about humility. And it's really about also um, appreciation as well. I, appreciation for this this you know, the final thoughts on that is is very economic of me and that's the way I explain it is you can either be a naturalist and observe the Amazon rainforest and see the beauty of that flower being there because it was meant to be there and that bird is meant to be there and that monkey in that tree, everything is meant to be as it is because this whole ecosystem emerged spontaneously and you can you can appreciate its beauty. And you can also be someone that comes in the Amazon forest and say, oh, this sucks. I would really like there to be a big maple over there. And I'm pretty sure that this forest, this ancient Amazon forest would have been much nicer if there was a big maple tree in the middle. And I'm gonna put my maple tree there. It's like, that's just a hubris of thinking that your imagined outcome is better than the the outcome of, of the laws of the universe. There's no different for me uh, from a social, like a central planner in Bitcoin, which is planning the optimal fee level in like 50 years by playing with metrics and dials um, than, than a central banker, which is playing with the inflation rate and playing with the interest rate in order to get some kind of outcome. So, you know, the ethics of Bitcoin is, uh, is, uh, is uh, humility and appreciation in the light of an inevitable, unstoppable emergent order. Uh, which you can add very, very minimum influence with your individual discrete transactions. And if you want to influence the immersion order, all you can do is transact more.
3: Beautiful ending. <laughs> uh, so where where should people uh, go find you online? And uh, what would you uh, like to have as, as parting words, things you want to show Yeah,
4: definitely. I'm going to show my company again. Uh, so boldbitcoin.com. It's only available for Canadians. Uh, however, if you are an American uh, or a foreigner and uh, to Canada and you want to see what it feels like to pay your bills with Bitcoin, or actually, uh, you can go now, uh, lightning.bills, B-Y-L-L-S.com. So uh, it's using testnet, so you can pay, like, a fake testnet bill and you can kind of, you know, get a, you know, if, if you're American if you're wondering, like, does bills actually exist? Uh, because you've never been able to use it since you're American, you can actually try lightning.bills.com. Um, BoltBerryCoin.com is the same app as Bills.com. We're gradually merging, so you can check one of the two. Um, stuff to shill. My Twitter account, uh, FrancisPulliot underscore. Uh, I'll shill the Nakamoto Institute. Check out the nakamotoinstitute.org. I've actually been pointing catalaxy.com to Satoshi Nakamoto Institute's uh, website for a little while now. I'm pretty happy about that. So, when you Google "Catalaxy," now a bunch of Bitcoin stuff shows up. I'm pretty happy. I, oh, I love that, that, that term. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess that's pretty much it. I'm gonna be. We're. Brought, we're pro- I'm probably gonna be launching a Bitcoin maximalist podcast in Canada. Uh, like just me and uh, Ben Perrin from BTC Sessions. We're recording the first few episodes uh, of that now. So uh, Bold Bitcoin has a YouTube channel with not much on it. Uh, oh, yeah, two things I'd like to show. Uh, um, I did do a, a uh, speech about Bull Bitcoin and our core values and stuff. Um, that was pretty radical. So if you Google Bull Bitcoin um, on YouTube, it's probably going to be the first thing that you see. And I do have a very good I like this article a lot. I wrote this article called Calalaxy called uh, The Origins of Innovation and Bitcoin. And that is kind of like an, an essay where I merge in my, my Austrian economic and like kind of game theoretic and skin in the game philosophies into uh, creating tech companies and working in the Bitcoin space. And it's like a 12 minute read. It's a pretty long read. Um, so "Galaxy: the origins of Bitcoin and in innovation. Uh, read that on my Medium blog, which is Francis Pouillard.
3: Awesome. And fantastic. It chilling. <laughs> All right, thanks for coming on. We'll have you back on uh, because we, despite talking for like an hour and a half, uh, I don't think we've gotten to everything that we want to talk about today. No, no, honestly, I definitely, I'm surprised. definitely love to continue this discussion. And I'm surprised uh, we even have subscribers
5: uh, without having had Francis on in this. <laughs> <hour>. <laughs> I know.
4: Well, well, I'm very happy to be on. I was, uh, I was like, I need to wait for the right moment to ask Pierre to go on the on the. Cause I need to have stuff to announce. Like I want to go on the show to talk about Bitcoin, but I'm happy I waited until like, I got Bull Bitcoin and Cypher node like up and running. So we actually had a an actual topic to talk about. And then next time, maybe we could talk about, you know, did the Bitcoin maximalist business model actually end up working? Uh, perhaps we can revisit in, in a year and a half and see, uh, are the maximalists still maximalists or are they or are they selling grin on their website and they, they, they <laughs> leave to the other no, I'm joking this is or, or
3: you're live streaming from <laughs> under a bridge in a cardboard box and you're like oh, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah.
4: maybe it was not a good idea <laughs> yeah yeah but don't worry there, there, there will never be an altcoin on bull Bitcoin and my face on the website at the same time so that that's it I cannot I cannot speak for bull bitcoins future investors and future executives that's the uh, the warrant canary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Your if face. I move my face from the website, it's because something's fishy. That is the that is very good. Warren Canary. My profile picture on the website gone. shitcoin Canary. Yes, exactly. And that means a shitcoin integration is on the on the horizon. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was really a, a great
3: privilege and a great pleasure. Oh, anytime. Foster. And we uh, we look forward to listening to your podcast as well. That'll be great. Sounds good. Bye.
2: How do you deal with ultimatums from customers bosses, etc? That are unrealistic due to the nature of the situation and the ultimatum
6: What I'm gonna do with ultimatums is I am going to tell the truth About the situation to them But first I'm gonna tell the truth about the situation to myself Mm. because you got to look at the situation and say to yourself is this truly unattainable like truly unattainable and and sometimes Even though it seems truly unattainable, but then when you actually think about it you realize oh I could attain this I can make this happen. I'm gonna have to sacrifice Whatever to make it happen. I'm gonna have to to It's gonna cost me or the team or the company something in order to make it happen like oh you want that done you want that you want that f- project done by you know the 15th cool we'll get it done uh but here's what we're not gonna be able to do or here's what i'm not gonna be able to do yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
6: and i'm also gonna make sure that i pressure test the ultimatum against me giving the absolute full measure of effort right like how if i go a hundred and ten percent right sure. not even a hundred percent Beyond you're gonna uh, give it everything you can is it achievable because a lot of times people that's an ultimatum you can't make it well as A member of a team. I want people's attitude to be like, you know what? We're gonna do it. We're gonna get it done. No one else will be able to do this, but we're gonna do it watch That's that's I like saying that sometimes what, watch watch
2: <laughs> I used to say watch me work yeah where I it. got it from some <laughs> rally.
6: <probably. laughs> so then okay so now you truly you tell yourself the truth about the situation mm-hmm. you figure out that there's truly under no circumstances that this is possible then it's my time to tell them the truth which is like listen and I'll get my data together I'll get my information together I'll explain to them what you know what why I can't? I'm not going to be able to physically get this done. It's physically not possible. Mm. And then, you know what the shortfalls are going to be. Now, and once I explain that to them, if they're if they're completely unwavering, because if you explain everything and you put your data together and you say, look, the bottom line is to 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 assemble this many pieces by our best two people on the team, mm-hmm. it takes them an hour each, and you want us to assemble 14 of them in three hours. It is not possible for us to do that. Mm. And even if you gave me more people, it doesn't matter. They don't know how to do that. So mm-hmm. it can't be done. I need at least whatever. Mm-hmm. Six hours with those whatever whatever it is. If they're unwilling to to waver on the ultimatum at all, like, no, go. You need to get it done. You need to get it done. Well then what I'm gonna do? Okay, I'm gonna try my hardest. Mm. I'm gonna buckle down. I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna see how much, how close I can get to achieving the goal. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna go so hard that it's gonna get nuts, like we're gonna get it done. And then when, if we fall short, which we will because I figured out there's no physical, humanly possible way to make this happen, then what I'm gonna do is I will go to them and I'll explain the things that I am going to do differently next time in order to meet their goals, right? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say, listen, you know what? I. I should have asked you earlier if this was a possible thing and I should have had a backup plan, so here's what I'm putting into place now to make sure this doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, I am going to need more manpower so that if we run into this again, I've got the people. It's my fault for not staffing us up correctly. Or, I need to pay more attention to what's happening in the future so that I can have a better awareness of when this type of situation will unfold so I can have my team prepared for it. Mm-hmm. or these complexities that happened I didn't explain to them I didn't explain them to you well enough mm-hmm. and so if you understood if I do a better job of making you understand the difficulties of making this happen hopefully you'll realize that there's that's more time is needed
2: mm-hmm.
0: so
6: I'm not going to go in there and throw up my arms and say See,
0: I told you so yeah
6: you were stupid mm-hmm. I was right because then that's just sabotage too now mm-hmm. they don't believe you anyways yeah, now home. when you say yeah. well, we, we couldn't get it done see like I told you I told you we need more time and they're like Yeah, of course you you, you know you you went into it thinking you're gonna fail and guess yeah. what A self-fulfilling prophecy? Good job. It. Yeah, good job. You proved yourself to be right loser demoted <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I do yeah. up and down the chain by the way, you know ultimatums can come up and down the chain of command Hold the line do your best. That's what you do. Yeah, that that seems. And tell the truth. It all starts with yeah. telling the truth yeah. to yourself. Yeah. And then to your people that you're to your customer. Yeah. You know, client. I want this foundation poured by such and such a date. Yeah. Hey, we we will do our best. Here's the shortfalls. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. Like that's the way it is. Yeah, and that's
2: a big one. I yeah, like where I kind of <laughs> learn this from you. Where <laughs> it's because you can. Like to to tell you, like, oh, hey, I can't. W- w- this can't be done. Like, you kind of you get to the point in your mind where you are like, we both know it can be done, but <laughs> I am just, you know, given my current rest and sleep schedule, <laughs> and you know, I got this show I like to watch at night. That'll kind of, you know, it's like There's that kind a of new situation. Hawaii
6: Five O out. <laughs> yes. we don't want to miss that one
2: exactly. So it 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 kind of shapes up to be like that, you know, yeah. where it's like, For look, sure. we both know. And I don't know, you know, like if, if there's a boss who's like just grinding someone into the ground, okay, that's a whole different scenario. But yeah, at the end of the day, like if you're truthful and it's like, hey, get this done or you're fired kind of thing. And then you start with the truth that you say, it, you'd be like, can I get it done? And then you really think, let's say like you were going to die or something, I don't know, mm-hmm. you could get it done yeah. a, a lot of the time. I'm a not saying I'm not saying yeah. all the time. Of course, of course.
6: The amount of times in my naval career, let's call it, when I was in the Navy, that guys... Said to me like we can't do it. I I can't even remember times like because guys, guys just be looking at me like, like Like, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. They wouldn't be like, well, I don't know, Jocko. I'd be like, hey, look, here's what we got to get done. Yeah, think we can do it, and they'd be like, Yep, good because we're about to go get some.
2: But yeah, and you know, (laughs) obviously, situations. Some situations are more like more serious. You know, like you're not gonna. I don't know Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Know. but yeah that telling the truth thing tell the truth yeah. I, I do speak from a position of luxury where I have the truth reflected at me pretty <laughs> accurately on a pretty uh, regular basis so I'm not saying it's that easy to tell the truth but if you just try hard try genuine you gotta be genuine right genuinely be like yes this is true about myself <laughs> do it check